One of the things that I really like about the Elder Scrolls universe, I don't like a lot about the Elder Scrolls universe, but there's one thing that they've done over its entire history that I think is genius, and that is um, that they have conflicting narratives of historical events as like books and things that you can read and find throughout the game. So there's a lot of stuff if you like pull up the wiki where it will be like, here's two conflicting narratives on this thing that maybe it might have happened. We're not sure. And it's like it makes the world feel more real, um, in my opinion. That's one of the things that I've really liked about that. Um, also, one of the things that I've really liked about Dragon Age is that Dragon Age has like all of this lore and like what happened but then at the end of dragon age inquisition you basically find out all of that is bullshit um <laughs> well the entire premise of dragon age 2 is that it's told through the lens of an unreliable narrator which is an excellent way to frame that entire game mm-hmm. yeah it, it's so cool like i i think i'm playing through inquisition again <laughs> <laughs> Welcome, everybody, to the Mind Sculptors podcast. I am your host, Callahan. Uh, we've got a great show lined up for me today with a two amazing guests, hosts, guest hosts. I don't know why I can't say that properly. Uh, joining me from the... I, I, I can't sit that state up north. It's my good friend, James, otherwise known as Squirrel Mob. How are you doing today, James? I'm doing all right. It's um, in typical Michigan fashion. Today it's 70. Tomorrow it's supposed to snow. Yeah, what so the we're fuck? doing okay. <laughs> yeah. it, it's one of the things I think is weird. Also joining us, by the way, um, all the way out from Las Vegas, where it's definitely not that weather, is Sage. It is nope. 70 uh, degrees. <laughs> Very lovely. Uh, so Nebraska is going through a similar situation as you, James, because it was uh, like. 90. I'm not joking you. Mm-hmm. It was 90 Thursday and Friday. Then we Friday night we had a thunderstorm and now it's 32 degrees. Wow. And it's like yep. my knee hurts so bad. <laughs> <laughs> You've entered the the wizened elder stage Holy of your life. Shit. You can tell the weather by your knee. My <laughs> knee. It's like, well, okay, so I I think I've talked about this before. It's like my knee I screwed up my knee playing football in high school. Um As one so does. uh anytime the weather changes, I can like feel it coming. That that barometric pressure drop or yep. like rise. Oh yeah, I'm the I'm the same mm-hmm. fucking way. Oh my gosh. And then sinuses. this oh sinusism sure is the worst. Um but yeah, dropping sixty degrees in a day, my knee was yeah, just like, yeah. hey, what if we just didn't? Um Yeah, we're supposed to get those storms today and tonight, and uh we hit I mean eighties. We we had record high temperatures on Wednesday, Thursday, and Friday. Yeah. It was like eighty one, eighty three, eighty four, which like doesn't happen in April very yeah. often, but uh, probably will start happening more. Uh, that's that seems to be the way things are going. 
and then Vegas. Vegas never gets hot, right, Sage? Yeah, um, no, not once. Yeah, it's just a cool 70 degrees all the, all time. the time. All the time. <laughs> You're not living in a desert. I don't, you know. Um, but uh, thank you all for joining us. Uh, if you like this show, want to support us, uh, be sure to go check out uh, the, our merch store. Uh, one thing you can get over there is our Mind Sculptors hoodie, which I did have on, but then I was hot. So I took it off. Um, I gotta get one. You can also get our Is This a Najila card or could be a Najila <laughs> card merch. So make sure to head over there and pick that up at the mindsculptors.com forward slash shop. Uh, also, we are sponsored by Dragon Shield. We've got these matte dual sleeves here. Uh, these are their dual matte sleeves that they sent me. Oh, they're honestly and, my favorite. Uh, they're they're really good. I'm a big fan. Um and so uh I, I still use my petrol mats. If the as soon as they make petrol dual mats, I'll make the switch. But uh petrol mats, I just have so many petrol mats that it's just too much work to not sleeve them in that. But if you want a good uh set of these, one of the things uh that's really cool about these I'm gonna open this here real quick while we're here is that they are opaque and uh, one of the things that's nice about that is that means the interior here is black it looks so, so they don't clean see through so let me for example show you uh this beautiful vorenklex that i opened on friday night has this back here right um in some sleeves you would be able to see on the back but in this you have this beautiful black backdrop and then means you can't see it on the back, which means you aren't going to get flagged at deck checks, which is a big, big plus. Um, so you can go to uh, the link down in the description, use our uh, affiliate link to help support the channel. Uh, also, you can support us on Patreon. Uh, dot com forward slash the mind sculptors uh all every little bit helps uh helps me be able to do the show um and continue to bring quality cedh content to the masses on a weekly basis uh today we are talking about so a few weeks ago phoenix and i uh to get back into the swing of things did an episode of Cards you should be playing or, you know, underrated cards, things like that. Um, today we're talking about staples that maybe you shouldn't be playing. Um, and so we, we kind of put together a list here of some cards, uh, that are a little bit of indicative of sort of what we're talking about with a certain uh, particular types of cards. Um, uh, not all of us agree on all of these, which is fine. Uh, but, uh, that is one of the things here, uh, that we're going to be talking about. The first card that we'll talk about today is, uh, professional facebreaker. If you're unfamiliar with professional facebreaker, it's a two colorless and a red two, three human warrior creature with menace says whenever one or more creatures you control deal combat damage to a player create a treasure token you can sacrifice a treasure exile the top card of your library and you may play that card this 
turn. So, um, Sage, you were the one who suggested this card. Is Actually, a card that you think James. is James? <laughs> oh, excuse me. me, James was. Yes, James, you were one of the yeah. people who suggested this card. Um, you were one of us who suggested yeah. this, and I, I, I tend to agree with you. Like, I don't play this in all of my red decks. Um, what is your thoughts on why too many people are playing? So it kind of boils down to two things on this. The first one has to do with its mana cost. Yes, it's only three. Yes, it's only two and a red. Uh, but at three mana, you have a lot of other cards that kind of overlap with what makes Phrasebreaker good, where you would rather play that three drop. And most notably, it's Timna, right? Mm -hmm. You would much rather play Timna on three than Professional Facebreaker. And if you're playing Timna on three, like Facebreaker on four is fine. But it feels like a card where when you have enough of a board presence that you're actually generating enough treasures to do much, it's kind of too late. Mm. And if you get it down too early, you don't have the board presence to actually be getting your treasures. Uh, you might get one a turn, which isn't bad, but like you get one a turn from Ragavan. And Ragavan also gives you potential card advantage. And it's a one drop, which is um, kind of more Ragavan's problem because it's busted. But Facebreaker, compared to other creatures that do things when you attack and hit with them, feels underwhelming despite the fact that it's like it's really good right um i mean we could joke about is this an agila card like this seems like it's oh yeah like i mean it's a war <laughs> like it's, it's a combo piece <laughs> it right doesn't yeah quite um, win with Najila, but it gets really but it gets close. real close yeah um, um the other problem with it is kind of that similar piece where a lot of the creatures that decks are playing right now have really good abilities and you don't want to lose them in combat and if you're trying to press an advantage with professional facebreaker, you run that risk of losing your, you know, your two, two grand abolisher or whatever. Mm -hmm. Like most of the creatures you're playing weirdly enough, aren't that good to attack with. Like you've got a few decks running one or two creatures that are in there as more or less pure attackers, but that's not enough to really get the value out of this. And if you're playing a deck that has that wide a swath of creatures, you're probably playing a stack space deck where that tre those treasures probably are not actually benefiting you at all. I would actually say that a card like Grim Hireling is, if you're looking for this type of effect, Grim Hireling, I think is just much better. I think and much rather. And it's also removal, which is like legit. Exactly. Yeah. Which makes it also easier to beat it. I've never seen the second ability of this card ever be a useful piece um it's always a hail Mary. yeah like it is always a i have blown everything else i do i now need to like swing for that yeah and that's not to say there aren't decks for this like should be in it like that second ability probably means that this should be in prosper like there's probably other decks where professional phase breaker is going to be good enough yeah. um there might be like say a gruel deck where you don't have a whole lot of card advantage like you might run this anyways because you're probably running creatures and getting that card advantage helps but a lot of the decks running it just it seems underwhelming compared to anything else you could be playing like more interaction for example why would i run more interaction i don't need more i don't know maybe because you're tired of other people winning the game very quickly <laughs> <laughs> i don't know what you're talking that about seems My games really I, it seems to, seems to be a complaint i hear frequently and then people have like a copy of swords to plowshares in the deck. i i, I would like so, to you know. say i do think that like <laughs> professional face breaker in the like timnacrom decks makes sense you have a lot of evasive um, creatures that are going to be able to get through. Uh, Timna provides One of them that. being your commander, of course. Yeah. Prom can get through. Timna can get through. Um, 
And so, like, I think it is good. I do think I like Grim Hireling more. And if you're competing for spots, I'd play Grim Hireling before I would play. See, that competition is actually, I think, where Facebreaker falls a little flat, even in, like, Timnacrom decks, mm-hmm. is that when you have, like, on a three-color deck, it's probably going to cut muster. It, it might be good enough there. But when you start pushing four colors, there's so many other options you have that it probably just isn't actually going to be good enough. Uh-huh. Like, even if you have things like Crown that's uh, evasive, or you're playing something like, you know, uh, what's the new um, Mars Machine Fairy Dude, Fairy, Fairy Mastermind? Yeah. Like, yeah. a bunch of people are, yeah, experimenting with that. Like, even if you have little dudes like that that are evasive, I think there are so many better options when you have access to four or five colors uh-huh. that it's gonna feel not good enough in those types of decks frequently. It's hard, especially because the the red is the impulse draw, and when you can when you have access to just regular straight up draw, like why would you not just have that instead so that you could hang on to your options? I think for professional face breaker, I think to me it is more of a build around than people think it is. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It, yeah. What do you mean by that? Like just to expand on that idea. So the idea, like, there are some cards like like Timna. There are cards that you build around, and while Professional Facebreaker can't be in the command zone, there are, you know, cards that we specifically build around. Like, we build around uh, Stacks effects. Like, you, you build around Rule of Law. You build around, you know, your Collector Oof and not being able to use artifacts. And so for mm-hmm. Professional Facebreaker, in order to get the full advantage out of all of the utility of that card, because it does offer a lot, you have to really commit to it. And to commit to that kind of strategy. Yeah. Mm-hmm. No, I mean, I I completely agree with that. I mean, there is a reason that I don't play yep. it in Arden Crom, for instance. Hmm. Um, and that, that is a deck me. that you would you would think would get really good advantage out of it. But one of the things that I found with that deck is, um, it wants more impactful things at the three mana position, mm. right? Mm-hmm. Uh, so at three mana, I'm now evaluating it against like sort of fire. Knights, right. And mm. uh, how does that like compete with like o- overlap with my game plan and stuff like that, where I've just kind of been like, I just think professional face breaker doesn't quite get good enough in this mm. um, where I think I would much rather play something like smothering tide. I was going to play in effect yeah. like that, um, where it really gives me that ability to uh, produce mana on a consistent basis. Uh, that's kind of something that I'm a little bit more interested in. Also, a card that I would be more interested in than this is like the new uh, Beam Town Beat Stick card from mm. uh, March of the Machines. That uh, basically, whenever your creature uh, that it's equipped to deals combat damage, you make a treasure. And that is one of the things where, you know, I'm not going to be attacking with multiple creatures in Arden Chrome, right? So I'm not going to get more than one out of this. Um, so this is like fine. Uh, and then mm-hmm. like compare that to something like Arden Silas, where like I am playing way more creatures because I'm less reliant on Krom. 
And mm. now I am playing Grim Hireling, right? Um, granted, if Arden Crom could play Grim Hireling, I think it would. Uh, <laughs> yeah, oh, I think Grim yeah. Hireling <laughs> is just good enough to yeah. play. Um, yeah. But uh, all that said, I, I, I kind of agree with this. I think it's it, it, one of the things you'll see is a common theme throughout these car, cards that we're talking about is that we're talking about these in situations, right? Um, and that's some important context that I do th- want to kind of add to this is like, we aren't saying don't play this card ever. What we are saying is this is not an auto include the way that mystical tutor is the way that vampiric tutor is right. Um, this is a card that you really have to evaluate how it holds up against the rest of your deck. And if your deck can support a card. Yeah. Um, I think having, I think the yeah. big takeaway for this episode is having intentionality with your card choices. Yep. Mm-hmm. Very much so. Yeah. Um, one last note on Facebreaker that Sage kind of brought up, but it's one of those rare creatures where it would be better if it was legendary. Oh, could you imagine if, you if this was this legendary? What a commander. fun commander. If this was a commander, it'd be an outlet for infinite um, Dockside Man. It would be a very good. But if you commander. can't get, yeah, if you can't guarantee that out of the command zone, then it's not really worth considering that. But if it was, like, yeah, because like, what's the situation where you would tear yeah. this up? Right. I, not I, very, would, I would likely. wonder if. I I'm curious because I'm trying to think if this is if that if this is a legendary creature. Is it better or worse than Magda? I think it's different. I don't know that it's better yeah. or worse. Um, but I'm just thinking from like a mono red deck. Like, yeah. which one would I think is yeah. better? Um, and that's I kind think, of. I think. Now, um, granted, as I have said, all mono red decks are just Goto in a trench coat. Um, <laughs> but. Actually, straight up, if this was a mono red commander, it might actually fill the niche that like I think probably exists out there and we just don't have the commander for it yet. With like those Punisher creatures, like uh, Idolon oh, of like, uh, the Great yeah. Rebel and stuff like that, where you actually just legit play a beatdown deck, and then you happen to maybe have like I've, something yeah, to you do would with have, So you would play. have a lot of small evasive creatures, and it would be a Cloudstone Curio deck because you would you would do the Cloudstone loop, you get all the treasures, and you could play your entire deck or you know whatever. And mm-hmm. then in the meantime, you're like punishing people. You're getting in. You're playing prison effects. You're controlling combat. Yeah, I think it'd be very yeah. Fun. It's it, it's it'd be very interesting. Anyhow, uh, go to a trench coat. All mono red decks. They all do the same thing, just in different ways. It just slightly different ways. It's all the same thing. Um. Anyway, uh, next card on our list. Uh, this is a card I put on the list, and it's really more of a signpost card, and that's Eidolon of Rhetoric, and I'm just going to say pretty much all just straight up uh, rule of law effects. Um, unless we're talking about something like Phyrexian Sensor or uh, the, what is it, um, the one from Zendikar Rising that I'm blanking on. Archon of Ameria. Like, unless we're talking about very specific ones like that, or Aether's War Canonist, or, um, you know, the things that you are able to, like, kind of wedge yourself out of in 
away, if that makes sense. I like I think these just straight up rule of laws that don't have any other plus side to them. I think rule of laws on their own are very bad strategy. I think it is a losing strategy. I think you are setting yourself up to not be successful if you're playing rule of laws. Um, and the reason I think that is the way the meta has evolved is it feels very much to me like we have returned in some form to the flash days with rule of law, in my opinion. Uh, and mm. what I mean by that is that I don't feel like, like it doesn't win your opponents the game like it did when flash was around. Because one of the things uh, for those who are newer to the format is that rule of laws used to be virtually unplayable when Flash Hulk was a thing. Because you were guaranteeing the Flash Hulk deck at the table won that game. Uh, you just waited until people had cast spells and then you just Flash Hulked on top of everything. Um, I had a lot of rhetoric and these uh, just straight up rule of laws are to me dangerous because all like you one have to dilute your deck's quality because you have to play a high enough density of them for them to matter because a rule of law on its own everybody's ready for it right every ad nauseum deck is ready for it they're just going to play a bounce spell and do their thing um and generally be able to maybe cast a silence right after it they're not hard to deal with where rule of laws are good is when they're in groups. So you generally want two or more rule of laws out for rule of law to really be effective. Um, and so because of that, I don't think these only rule of law effects are quite good. Um, if I were playing rule of laws, uh, and like, if I were to talk about rule of laws that I would be okay with playing, like I said, Archon of Ameria, either Sworn Cannonist, uh, Deafening Silence. I think if you're a creature based deck, I think Deafening Silence is a really easy auto include, um, because it's very easy to just slam that down and hey, and look, at one mana. Right. Yeah, and at one mana. Like, it's very aggressively costed. Mm -hmm. It's easy to play. Same thing for um, Eidolon, or not Eidolon, rather, either Sworn Cannonist. Um, the effect that I think people want Rule of Law to have, I think is better served by Grand Abolishers, Murals, cards like that, uh, than Rule of Laws. And so I generally... I'm starting to come around even to the whole defense grid. I was just about fairy. to ask, what do you think about defense <laughs> grid? <laughs> uh, I, I don't like defense grid specifically because of the, it taxes your stuff. Uh, but I've been playing a little bit more with three fairy and I'm actually seeing that card in a bit of a new light because I've seen it where, especially like in a deck like pivot where Opponent disrupts to the win condition. Teferi stays out though, because they're trying to use it as a way to, you know, win. If you are in a blue deck that can support it, you are already playing a density, a high enough density of blue counter magic 
and interaction pieces that you're going to be able to deal with whatever comes your way. Um, so I tend to be, I'm starting to think that three fairy is a little bit better than I had previously evaluated it. I also think some of that is indicative of the changes in the format and how the format has matured. Um, I don't think a year ago I would have made that recommendation the way the meta was a year ago. Uh, I think a lot of our player base has matured in their ability to um, not just yeet themselves into the sun. Uh, and that's kind of why I've not liked uh, Three Fairy in the past is because the person playing it would just throw themselves into the sun and then not have anything uh, to back it up. Whereas now uh, I see more people playing it and being like uh, very intentional with uh, how they're playing it and when they're playing it and what they're keeping in case something goes sideways. Um, and that's one of the things that I really appreciate about that because it's, yeah, it's, it's one of those cards that I, I really don't, I, I think I'd rather be playing that than rule of law. Um, because I think that is yeah. a, a much more actively good strategy. And that's kind of just my overall take is I think control is better than stacks. Um, I think stacks is very bad. Uh, I see control winning significantly more control in mid range are what stacks wishes it was. Um, <laughs> and stacks just, in my opinion, doesn't really hold up very well. Um, not sure what you think on that, James, uh, but I've, I've been watching your face. <laughs> uh, yeah, I classify those cards that you mentioned as the ones that you would replace rule of laws with mm -hmm. as an entirely different thing. Now, I will say we may be at the point where you have enough density of good rule of laws where rule of law itself doesn't need to be mm -hmm. played because it is the worst rule of law, right? Deafening silence costs one, great. And the ones that have legs are useful for other things. Right. Like if you're using them with Timna or, and Kamal or whatever else, like they have value as creatures. Um, you know, worst comes to worst, you can Eldritch Evolution them into something mm -hmm. else, um, which is or pretty good. Because you can like Eldritch Evolution, yeah, you can use them for pod lines, you can Eldritch Evolution them, Neoform them, and sacrifice them to, to Vesh, whatever. Um, so the creature ones all seem pretty pretty reasonable. And of the creature ones, like Eidolon and Rhetoric is probably the worst of them because it's the most vulnerable. That being said, uh, Grand Abolisher and Three Fairy and Myrel are all cards that um, allow you to do your thing versus Rules of Laws are the thing which you are doing. Mm -hmm. Now, we mm. can debate whether or not it's a good thing to be doing, um, I think stacks is fine. I think stacks biggest problem is, and always has been, and probably always will be, um, the other players at the table, not understanding what you're doing. Uh, <laughs> so, um, and then there's of course the question of like, do you have enough pressure? Which is why a lot of stacks decks, they have to be creature based. Like it's why Winota is the one that shows up the most is because it goes from applying, applying stacks to applying pressure very, very quickly. Yeah. But other decks can do that as well. The other thing that Winota does that it's an important piece here too, is a lot of stack stacks kind of just fold to a board wipe. Um, and Winota is a very notable exception to mm. that because it's very, it's, it's able to rebuild its board state quite rapidly. Whereas, mm. um, you know, 
other stack stacks are not going to be able to rebuild their board in nearly the same like fashion. Uh, yeah, that is the, the counterplay is you don't have as much card advantage in most of these stack decks, which is a fair sure. thing. Um, but also, you know, not every deck can have every tool available to it. That's probably healthier overall. Right. Um, but I do think I think rule of laws are healthy to include. I think that you have to be deliberately playing a rule of law deck to play them. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I think a lot of people don't necessarily think through that all the way. There's a couple you can get away with playing in non rule of law. Like deafening silence, if you're just a general creature based strategy, but you aren't necessarily really heavy on rule of laws, it's still probably fine. Um, same with like Ether Swarm Canonist and uh, Archon, and probably the new Phyrexian one too. Yeah, like, Phyrexian just generally, are, if you I think, yeah, if, is just if you want to do stuff with creatures, they're good, they're just generically good creatures, and that's what you want to be doing. Uh, a lot of stacks decks, though, like they're gonna want, I think it was Cobblepot who used to say, like, the best. Thing that a stack stack can stack stack can have is the second rule of law, right? The only thing better than the first rule of law is the second. But rule that's of law. that's that's kind of my issue and, with it, though. Is in order to so we can cut back on playing the bad rule of laws, but then you're lowering your density of having rule mm-hmm. of laws to play the second one. So you kind of do yeah. need to play the second. One. But when they've all got legs, it means that you turn you know your Llanowar elf can at any time become your second rule of law because they're all three two and three drops right mm-hmm. so you eldritch evolution your Llanowar elf into yeah uh idolon of sure. or you birthing pod your Llanowar elf into uh ether sworn cannons so like when they have legs they're really good mm-hmm. um and i think more people probably need to when they're building stack decks keep that in mind is like you need to be utilizing them as both creatures and rules of law which is why i think rule of law itself is probably the most cuttable of them um, and I guess by extension, arcane laboratory for any decks that are blue based stacks yeah. decks. But, um, when it comes to three fairy, like it's entirely different, right? It's protecting what you're doing. Um, if you choose to play it, you are choosing to also become table police. So it puts a different value on removal and interaction. Well, and it if places you a higher value on your interaction that turn, you have to be able yeah, to play sure, table, Right. And that's, table that's the thing, right? Um, and that, that's kind of the issue with it, right? How, it's a three mana card that like you need to win with it then. And there are ways you can do that, like uh, displace your kid or whatever else. But uh, I find that to fill a very different role than what rule of laws are filling. I mean, I, I would agree with that, right? Like the it's, three fairy shows up in like different types of decks, but um, I guess my, po- my point isn't necessarily to replace them, but rather... Sure. I just don't think you should be playing rule of laws in general. And like, I, I don't think that they are like, I, I think a really good example uh, is uh, Arden Tana. I know I talk a lot about mm-hmm. Arden on this show, uh, but that's because I play a lot of Arden. So deal with it. Um, <laughs> but in like Arden Tana, I like scoots and uh, cicadas build of that deck uh, is very heavy on rule of laws. And I personally, think that when you are playing a deck that relies very heavily on using equipment in a way that's going to extract a lot of uh, value out of your creatures and make your creatures better, uh, I think restricting how much and your ability to play them is mm. not wise. Not, also, yeah, not being the able other to like, thing, double spell on your equipment, yeah. 
this is the other thing that I think not enough people remember with uh, with rule of laws is because when you're playing rule of law, you net in your deck, you now have to evaluate every card in your deck on the axis of do I want this to be my spell per turn? And if it's not good enough to be that, then you probably shouldn't play it, which cuts a lot of really good cards from being in your deck because as a just one spell for turn, they aren't quite very good. Um, so that's kind of where I land on it. I, I, I generally think rule of laws are not well positioned. I generally think that stacks is not particularly well positioned. Um, but that's also, I think to a certain extent, that's a self-fulfilling prophecy. Like once you start saying rule of law isn't good enough and people start not playing rule of laws, you lose one of those balancing points against the decks that uh, are super fast. And even with, you know, decks like Rog Sai or whatever else, having answers to rule of laws in the form mm-hmm. of Cyclonic Rift or whatever the hell, you still want to make, you want to ask that question. You want to make them happen, right? Because there's a lot of times that those decks get away with not having it because no one attempts to make mm. them happen. So, and the fewer times you put something in place to say, do you have it? The more they can get away with not ever having. I, I will say I do like rule of law in decks that have the ability to win the game quite quickly and win the game without really needing to cast spells. Um, I think Minsk and Boo. Uh, That's a good one. The, the creature one, the Nile mm-hmm. one, uh, yeah. is a is a deck where I'm like, yeah, you play rule of law, baby. That's a great place for him. Um, yeah, and I like I think decks that can win the game in a reasonable manner rule of law is fine um and that is an important caveat to to give on that but my my general analysis of it is i just see so many of these like combat focused combat oriented we're just going to beat you in the face and try to win that way these these win conless per se stack stacks uh playing rule of laws and i'm like you can't just rely on rule of law getting you there. Uh, You have to be able to win the game. And so that's why I look at most, like, because I see rule of law in like a deck like Minsk being acting like a mural almost. And it's just like, you just have more of those cards at your disposal. And when you're playing stuff like Cavern of Souls, that will guarantee that you're uh, either of your, um, what's it called um rectors resolve mm-hmm. then like it's not a huge deal uh same thing where you're playing the green you're also playing allosaurus shepherd in a deck like that so there's a lot of things where it acts like protection almost in those decks where i think that's fine um i don't love it as just a stacks piece on its own and then my game plan is play rule of law and then beat your face in. You're not going to win games plan doing that game plan. It's just, I, I've never seen that be effective. Um, it's the only time I've ever seen it be effective is when Charles is playing the stack stack. <laughs> but there's a few things that Charles does. He doesn't just play rule of law. <laughs> he plays a lot of stacks effects. Yeah, uh, but 
Yeah, I think having understanding that every deck, even though a deck might not be in the proactive archetype, every deck should have a proactive plan. And if that is rule of law, your plan is not complete. <laughs> yeah, that's that's kind of how I feel about it. Uh, I could talk about this all day. Um, next card <laughs> on our list, or next really section here is where we're next. Like groupings of cards are wheels. Um, and in specific, wheel of uh, wheel of misfortune and windfall are the two big ones. But even to some lesser extent, time twister and wheel of fortune are just maybe things that you should avoid playing. Uh, and I actually am starting to lean into the camp of don't think you should ever play these cards unless you're playing Narset, uh, Notion Thief. Things that restrict draws. I don't think you should be playing these cards. And I know both James and Sage put uh, either one or either one of or all of these cards on this list. So Sage, we'll start with you on this. So your experience, you play a lot of like Turbo Red um, and, Turbo Red and, even and Red Storm. In Red Storm, you know, you do a lot of stuff with like Omnath and stuff like this. What are your thoughts on these wheels? Because a lot of turbo players will tell you, I need this to win. Oh, man. So I, first and foremost, Wheel of Fortune is one of my favorite cards of all time. I love that old, old, old fashioned art. I kind of want a tattoo of it. But <laughs> <laughs> the thing is, is that especially without access to something like Hole Reacher that, you know, every deck could basically with blue could play. Um, when the, if you are not in a, if you're not in a storm deck, if you're not in a turbo deck that is explicitly relying on high card velocity in order to have a big storm turn to, you know, to finish to go off. If you are anything slower than that, you do not need wheels. And looking specifically at windfall because blue has so many different card advantage engines uh that you just don't play, need a windfall just play ponder like play ponder it's yeah. good trust me it's a very Ponder's good card <laughs> <laughs> and so the thing is is like even with breach like i don't cons i don't play windfall i have taken wheel of fortune out of omneth even though i am a breach and i want to fill my graveyard if i want to fill my graveyard there are other cards that i can play that are going to be useful for that like uh, looking at Dragon's Rage Channeler, like that's gonna be that's gonna give you card velocity. That card is so underplayed. That card is so Darcy, so good. But yeah, that's gonna give me card velocity. It's gonna give me card selection. It's going to fill my rave graveyard for breach, and it's not gonna refill my opponent's hands. Wheels were very good when you know when we had when you know when Freeze Thief was like really big, and you could proactively play uh, Hole Breacher, Narset, and. Uh, notion thief and then you because like you are stripping your opponents of resources and there is collector poor alms collector <laughs> i was trying to think i was like what's that four mana cat that no one plays yeah. <laughs> i i still i bridge farmer members <laughs> god poor alms collector so it's like when you have an abundance of wheels um there is I like there isn't a there is value in that disruption that is true of making your opponents cycle through their hands and not being 
throwing them off their game plans. But the thing is, is when we have so many tutors that tutor to the top of the deck that you can wheel someone into something that they want. Mm -hmm. um, And then inevitably in, you know, decks that are really, you know, relying on blue, relying on interaction, like you are just increasing the odds that they are going to find the answer to stop you. Increasing the odds you're going to lose. And so, yeah. And so then there's a diminishing return on the disruption of the hands because ultimately you can disrupt you can disrupt their their pl- their proactive plans but you can disrupt your own plans because you wheel them into something that's going to stop you and so for just straight up wheels like you can you can find other things that fit that need if you need to put cards in your graveyard if you need to see more cards if you need to draw more cards to have more options available to you and so I think like having that intentionality with wheels is really important. Why I do like Time Twister, but even still, I'm not putting it really into any blue decks anymore because Time Twister has the upside of graveyard hate, which is mm-hmm. important for all the breach decks running around. It also, and also with Winds of Change, it fucks up tutors. You just, there's no reason you can't tutor with it mm-hmm. and get your advantage off of that. So it's like, mm-hmm. but even still, like, I don't play Time Twister. And there I love was, that card. yeah. There was a time, uh, even before Hallbreacher, where, uh, during the Flash era, where wheels were very good, uh, specifically because it would disrupt Hulk very, very, very effectively. Yeah. And James, you played during that era. It, I did. For people who aren't aware of how that worked, why were wheels specifically good then versus now so one piece of it is of course uh breach didn't exist for most of that time period so there was a, like a when month were u- gap yeah where it did when people were utilizing their graveyard it was a lot more specifically focused on like one-to-one value type things mm-hmm. like reanimate or animate or whatever. so you didn't really care as much about dumping things in the yard and being able to throw off whatever was in somebody's hand because oftentimes if you're a flash player you have you have to have two cards in hand to to actually go off you have to have flash you have to have hold and then you, you also probably have to usually have wanted some to have cards not in hand too <laughs> right also true you had to have cards not in hand which is important um so you have to have two cards so already if you've got a grip you know a full grip of seven cards that means there's five other cards there that could be interaction or whatever else and if realistically throughout a game you're not going to have a full grip the whole time so if their hand is like five cards, they've only got probably three things that are going to be in there besides the Flash and Hulk. Probably one or two of those are pieces of interaction. So even being able to play a wheel and fish out some of that interaction was good. It could be used as a decoy to eat interaction. And if you get through the interaction, if they've got the Flash and the Hulk in their hand, they bin it, that's usually very good for you. Now, they could be running something like Reanimate or Animate Dead or whatever to get that Hulk back, which was not uncommon. But... Now you're was dealing with like a sorcery a, speed uh, exactly. deal instead of on top of everything. Right. And like you mentioned, if they draw into whatever their piece was, you know, oftentimes uh, nomads or cephalid mm-hmm. uh, illusionists, that then also limits what they're going to be able to do, which not exactly, you know, their, not their best ideal. plan. Now, granted, nomads <laughs> and cephalid, you can just play. They're cheap. But if you have to play them out, then that opens them up to other other windows of interaction. Now I will kind of take what something Sage said in the last segment. And what they said was, uh, or a couple segments ago, 
professional face breaker is kind of a build around card. Wheels are also build around mm-hmm. cards mm-hmm. at this point. Um, I, I will give more of a pass to Wheel of Fortune and Time Twister for two very specific reasons. Um, both of them guarantee you seven cards. Mm-hmm. Like, sure. yes, they also guarantee your opponent seven cards, but they always have the same rate of return. You are always going to get seven cards, which is good. And with Wheel, it puts it in your yard. And with Time Twister, it doesn't put it in yard, but it disrupts other people's yards and has the opportunity to be part of... I know people don't use Twister Loops anymore, are, but like, wow. Twister Loops exist. They used they, to be a thing. I remember doing them, but like I yes, hate like, them personally. <laughs> no, it's 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 long, it's complicated, but like they're there, right? Um, but with Wheel of Misfortune and Windfall, especially, like they feel really underwhelming a lot of the time. Like people get this idea with Windfall in their hand, like, oh, you know, if I've been feeding this fish, you know, maybe somebody's gonna have 10, 11, 12 cards in hand. I'll be able to draw that. Like, don't do that. Don't don't think about that. Don't think about the best case scenario. Most of the time, you, when you resolve a windfall, you're going to get three or four cards. There are other ways you can do that. Yeah. Uh, with Wheel of Misfortune, you're not even guaranteed to get cards. Yeah. Like, if you are the person who is casting a Wheel of Misfortune because you need to get cards off a of Wheel of Misfortune, that is not where you want to be. And it also people can doesn't play you on that. guarantee you're disrupting your opponents either. Also true. Um, yeah. Because your opponents can all can just, just say zero, and then nobody... The, you yeah, just exactly paid three mana for nothing um yeah. right which and, and and like also being a you know red storm player that feels very bad i took out wheel of misfortune out of fergie for quite a long time because you you don't get that upside of disruption you mm-hmm. you're like you're like oh for sure they have interaction because they didn't throw away their hand <laughs> like mm-hmm. yeah they paid more life wheels for me. also <laughs> Yeah, wheels also have this awkward thing where like they're really, really good if you're like player one or player two on turn one. If you can wheel on turn one as one of the first two players in the game, that's v- probably the best place to wheel. And then they're not really that good again until later in the game. And later in the game, everybody is benefiting from that card draw. So they're yeah. better when your card value or your card quality is higher or when you really want to draw seven cards. I, now there I are decks that is, really want to draw seven I cards. Will put a, I will put a condition on the on your first turn wheel it's good on your first turn if you are player one any other seat at the table yeah turn no, you one, don't want to do it as the third horrible. player or the four player i think it's fine if you're also the second player but depending like, on the turn that the first player had I, I, yeah I, you don't really well, and the reason i say that is because a very often seen this actually happened to me when i was at punt city or not pun city at a Silicon dynasty is that um, I I sat down at a table. I was going fourth in the pod. Uh, Second player was playing that like teamer. uh, Like every time you're Zyrus Zyrus. and uh, player one was on Tim Necrom, something or other. And Mm -hmm. basically empties their hand uh, like playing stuff. Right. And then the next player just plays Winds of Chief, or not Winds of Chief, Wheel of Fortune. And mm-hmm. I just sit there and I like stare at them and I'm like, so we're just giving them a new hand? Yeah. This seems right. like the worst yeah. idea imaginable. Um, and that's, that's why they're very much build arounds. Like you have to be playing those other pieces to get the value off them, whether it's, you know, Alms Collector may, may Alms Collector rip, rip, rip in pieces, but. Um, Notion Thief, Narset, uh, there's a couple other things like Waste Not, honestly, is probably fine mm-hmm. still. Um, but you know, at that point, you're building a wheel deck. Yeah. If you are not building a wheel deck, like 
Probably Wheel of Fortune is decent enough in enough decks that it's fine. And Time Twister, I think, has enough other uses where like it's a fine card. But, but we're talking about like, yeah. And these are going to be like, if you're making your list, these are probably like your 97th, 98th, mm-hmm. 99th card. Like these are towards the bottom of the list of what you're making. Uh, simply because, you know, it's not going to necessarily always do the thing you want it to do unless you are specifically building your deck to do that. Mm-hmm. And there are decks that do that. Like I still think Opus Thief is a totally fine deck to be playing. Oh, yeah. Like, but it's very specifically a wheels deck. Like just throwing out a winds of change, like in your rock side deck, probably isn't really doing anything. Oh, winds anymore. of change in rock side? That's fucking yeah, garbage. No. Yeah, right? <laughs> yeah, I would not play that your, there. You're shooting yourself in the foot. <laughs> yeah, I, I just, I, I look at so many wheels and like the, the way I evaluate wheels and the reason I don't play them is that. Now, this is from the perspective of a control mid-range player, right? So um, take this for from that perspective is I sit there and do the mental math of, okay, I'm paying three mana so that I can draw seven cards. My payoff for that or my trade-off for that is my opponents are now also drawing seven cards each. And in 1v1, it's a lot easier to see that as an equal exchange, right? The problem is, is we're in multiplayer and you have now lost that exchange by 14 cards. Um, that is huge when we are playing a format where priority position matters and cards in your opponent's hands are tools against you. You don't want your opponents to have seven cards in hand, in my opinion, at any point in the game. The more cards your opponents have in their hands, the worst, the, 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 the worse off you are. There's a reason why we say don't feed the fish, don't feed the Rhystic Study. Um, there's a reason why we say pay for Sentinel, right? Um, I just think playing these cards is completely antithetical to the idea of, hey, we should not be doing this thing where we are exchanging seven card, getting new a new seven in exchange for giving my opponents 21 cards. I, I don't think that's a good value proposition. Now, a card that I do think if you are needing these types of effects that you should consider is like Valakut, uh, What's the one that's like an instant you put, you discard Valakid Awakening. Valakid Awakening or something like that, um, where they are just for you. They're not as like explosive, but they're going to provide you the same value without the same, a very similar amount of value uh, without the drawbacks of giving your opponents 21 cards. And that's kind of the thing that, I mean, and that's, that's how I look at this is if I were to ever tell you, Hey, you can draw seven cards. Everybody else is going to draw. And everybody else gets 21. Your opponents get 21. I don't think in any like world you would look at that and say, Oh, that's good for me. Um, I think there are very limited situations in windows where wheel of fortune itself is good. I think time twister you don't need to play it anymore. If you are playing, just just play. If you want to be disrupting graveyards, play Graft Digger's Cage, play Rest in Peace, 
play Dothy. You've got plenty Soulless of things jailer. to just soulless yeah. jailer. You have so many things that can disrupt graveyards. Now, I don't think the value proposition of time twister disrupting graveyards is there anymore. Like you also have endurance loops that replace the time twister loops, right? It does yeah. the exact mm-hmm. same thing effectively. So for me, I look at it and I go, I don't know that the value proposition is worth it for me. Um, Granted, again, that comes from me playing a from a very mid-range. Like if I was a a football coach, I would very much be uh James will know who I'm talking about. I very much come from the Jim Trussell school of like theology on how to coach <laughs> and how to uh coach a game. Uh, very conservative in a lot of my choices with how I approach deck building. And some people, yep. that's fine, uh, are also maybe a little bit more close to what's his name out at USC, James? Uh, at USC? Yeah, it used to be Lincoln Oklahoma's Riley. Coast. Lincoln Riley. Lincoln Riley. Some people a little bit more Lincoln Riley. And that's okay. But Lincoln Riley doesn't play defense. We like to play defense. No, um, <laughs> yeah, like I'll say, like I play a lot of mid range as well, and I I keep Twister in a lot of decks, but I keep it in those decks when they also have Notion Thief mm-hmm. and ways to find Notion Thief pretty easily and quickly, like with Neoform or Eldritch Evolution. Because yeah. if I can like flash in a Notion Thief at end of turn, or if I have enough mana to Neoform, you know, a three drop into Notion Thief or EE, you know, Thrasios into Notion Thief and then followed up with Twister. Like, I'll do that. Um, but yeah, it's definitely not a thing that, like, you need to be playing no matter what. Yeah. Agreed. It's defensible in the right deck, but you gotta build around it. So, the next I'm gonna kind of group these cards together are these, like, very okay tutors. Um, and I'm going to add one honestly to the list because I also think that it's very bad. Uh, but we've got Praetor's Grasp, Wishclaw Talisman, and I'm going to just say it, Grim Tutor. Um, I, I said this two weeks ago. Uh, I think that if you are, I mean, Phoenix made this point for me very well, is that bring to light as a better return or is a better rate to playing your ad nauseum or playing whatever you are wanting to play than Grim Tutor or Wishclaw Talisman. And uh, Wishclaw Talisman was a card that James felt particularly mm-hmm. uh, about. Yeah. And uh, I'll let you kind of get touch on that. And then uh, we'll eventually talk. We'll, we'll get back to Praetor's Graph here in a moment for Sage. But uh, Wishclaw Talisman is a card that I know you mm-hmm. are not a fan of. Yeah. Um, so Wishclaw Talisman has two downsides in my eyes as a card that people should be playing. Although I think it's funny that you bring up Grim Tutor because I actually think people should be playing Grim Tutor over Wishclaw. But that's neither here nor there. Um, Wishclaw Talisman has two issues in that one, it's an artifact. Mm-hmm. Uh, and two, it has a major drawback if you fail to go off. If you fail to win, you have given your opponents another tutor. Mm-hmm. Um, that alone is pretty bad. The second problem is because it's an artifact, uh, if you're not winning with it that turn, it feels pretty bad because there's lots of things that can turn it off. Oof exists, Null Rod exists. Um, 
you can only use it as a sorcery, so it's not like you can activate it at the end of an opponent's turn. Or no, you, can't you, use, can, you can use it as an instant, but you can only use it on your turn. Correct. You can only use yep. it on your turn, so you can't you know, go and find something during somebody else's turn to minimize those effects. It feeds Dockside. I mean, how often do you hear people complain about Dockside? Oh, Dockside made this many treasures and it was just too many and stop feeding it. Like, if you can't win the game that turn, don't play the thing that is going to feed it. Now, obviously, it's different with, like, Mana Rocks. Like, if you want to play that Soul Ring and develop your board, sure, fine, whatever, that makes sense. Uh, it does not make sense with Wishclaw Talisman. It's a three-mana tutor. That is what it should be played as. And when people don't play it as that, they are setting themselves up to get burnt by it. And there are three-mana tutors that are better than it. Uh, I think Grim Tutor is better than it. I think there's other things you can make an argument for. Um, Sage, are you playing Bring Delight on Nath? Um, no, I do you not. Should. You should. Let me bring to light as an S tier tutor. The other thing about bring to light that's also very nice is that you can use treasures to make any colored mana. Exactly. So you can actually get it higher. That, that's um, one of the arguments like, I made for it is guys, right. we live in a dockside and, world. I'm I, making a, five colors. I'm not worried about at a certain point when you have enough cards that like you really want to be using um, and you have a density of it. Like if you're an ad nauseum deck, you are probably already running. Demonic Tutor. Mm-hmm. You're probably already running Mystical Tutor, Vampire Tutor, Imperial Seal. You may or may not be running Diabolical Tent. Mm-hmm. There's four or five tutors already. They get the one card you care about. Right. You probably don't need the fifth or sixth tutor. Um, especially if you've already got five, you probably don't need that sixth tutor. That's probably overkill. And a lot of these cut decks are also cutting on types of interaction. Now, usually they have some variety of counter spells and uh, bounce spells. But, like, how many times do people lose a game to, like, a card like Winota or any other any other commander that just takes over a game? Like, you running, you're running two bounce spells and a source of plowshares as your creature. Bounce spells aren't really that effective against creatures because they replay them and just go off. So you're running one, maybe two pieces of dedicated creature removal, and then you're losing to creatures. Like, maybe that tutor should be another thing that kills a creature. Mm-hmm. Maybe it should be something else that's relevant. Or another maybe, advantage you know, engine. Right. Mm-hmm. And some of these decks are running Wishclaw and aren't running, say, Opposition Agent. Now, to be fair, you should probably run the two together. But if you're running Wishclaw and not Opposition Agent, I would run Opposition Agent over it. It's a body. It's useful. It has flash. That's nice. And it is disruptive. Like, there's a lot of things that I think are a better fit than Wishclaw especially in a world where Dockside is so common. Yeah, yeah unless you're playing... And it just telegraphs what you're doing. Yeah, unless you're playing it in a Displacer Kitten deck where you can take advantage of play it, activate it, blink it, bring it, tutor again. Like, mm-hmm. Well, that again, that kind of goes along with everything we've been saying, is it's like, this is a card that isn't an auto-include, but is really good insert place where it is really good and you should play yeah. it, right? Um, and there's absolutely places where this is a fantastic card. Um, but like, I even look at Grim Tutor and I go, okay, it's three mana. Uh, I'm pretty sure I just have better cards that can go just get things straight to the battlefield that I think I would rather be playing. I think Entomb is better than Grim Tutor personally. Um, in my, in my opinion. Uh, but that is generally also because I like cheap, quick interaction or uh, cheap, quick tutors over slow, expensive ones. And uh, oh yeah, I forgot to mention gamble. Gamble's a tutor people 
are obviously playing before Wishclaw. So like, yeah, that makes Wishclaw six or seven, right? Yeah. Uh, Sage, you are not a fan of Praetor's Grasp, and I'm not a fan of it specifically because I think it, it is literally impossible to resolve correctly over webcam, <laughs> which oh, is God. why I do <laughs> not think it should be permitted in webcam games because it changes the functionality of the card. Um, that is my soapbox i do not think chaos mox masters whatever online tournament you're doing uh whenever monarch comes back doing online tournaments praetor's grasp should be banned in online tournaments in my opinion because of the fact that you cannot resolve it correctly meaning it completely changes how the card works fundamentally and it gives the it gives you the person playing the praetor's grasp a giant advantage that they shouldn't have and they yeah. wouldn't have in real life. Um, yeah. So I do because, think that yeah. is a thing against it, in my opinion. That's my biggest thing. That's me as a judge in a TO, like, going, this card is problematic from a game standpoint. I feel um, I feel like that was a far more relevant complaint uh, before Opposition Agent got printed, because Opposition Agent does let you look at their hand, which, like, it gets really weird really fast. Well, that's the thing, is, like, Opposition Agent, though, is worded to let you do that. Praetor's Grasp, in my opinion, is not. Like, if I'm IRL, I can't look at your hand, I can't look at your deck list, so... The, the way that we do things over webcam is we look at deck lists, we, uh, and then we have to go, okay, I want to grab this card. And then we find out, oh, that's not in their list. Um, and people have found all sorts of ways where it's like, oh, well, hold it up to the camera and close your eyes. It's like, okay, no, no, no. Listen, it, it, you cannot resolve it correctly over webcam. It's impossible. You can't do it. So in my opinion, you shouldn't be able to play it over a webcam. Just ban it. Straight up. Um, that is my soapbox on the card. Sage has a completely different soapbox. So, <laughs> Sage, what are your thoughts on Praetor's Grasp? No, and I definitely I definitely agree with that. Having it over webcam, like you get so much more information that you wouldn't be able to get because if you're sitting at a table and playing with your, you know, playing with your opponents, if you you if you're going to try and piece together what cards they have in their hand based off what is in their library, that's, that's slow play. <laughs> like, straight up. Um, so, but yeah. So, but it's I'm also afraid. how the rules for online tournaments are written yeah. so that you can resolve this card. It, you just yeah. should ban the card. I think it's the easier, cleaner solution. I, I agree. And uh, why I don't think you should really be playing it in the first place is that I think a lot of decks tend to play Praetor's Grasp because they don't have access to blue and they want to play your Thassa's Oracle so that they can win. That doesn't make sense to me. Because for one, for Praetor's Grasp, you don't get to spend mana over mana of any color to mm -hmm. cast it. So what are you going to like? You're going to crack your LED so you can play your thought, like play your opponent's Thassa's Oracle? Like, I don't know. So the mana situation, and of course, I mean, you know, with the prevalence of treasures, it's it's easier to get around that. I get that, but with the the mana restrictions uh, there, I think it makes it not great. 
It's a three mana tutor. And if you are in a black deck without blue, you have access to so many more like proactive ways for you to win the game and close the game that you should just be tutoring for instead. Like, I don't know. Like, so I just, I don't really understand the functionality of the card. And if you're trying to do it to like get someone to keep them off of their win condition, I don't think that is an interesting or a good way to play or like to, to sequence your turns. Like that is not putting your strategy forward. It's not a great use of three mana. (laughs) Yeah. And like, it's not a great use of three mana and you know, decks have multiple ways to win. If you take them off one line, they still have, one, two, three, four other lines that they can do. And so that's not really an effective obstacle in order to push, in order to propel you forward enough to win the game. Mm-hmm. So I think it's just like, if you really want another tutor, play another tutor, play a piece of interaction, play card drop, play, you know, something that, you know, give, play something that gives you more card velocity so you can see more cards for a turn. Like, you know, I, what this card is trying to do is too many things and it doesn't do any of them very well. Yeah. I am. Yeah. I definitely agree with you. This, this feels like a vestigial piece of like what CEDH was prior to, for sure. I would say probably prior to commander legends is really when this like started to switch, but like, uh, you're, you're absolutely right. It's a card that does a lot of things like mediocrely well. Such a and because, <laughs> because it does so many things in a mediocre way, people are like, oh, it's good enough because it can do all these different things that I want. You know, it can get whatever. Uh, but like, if you're using it, like you said, to keep somebody off of something, well, then just play more interaction. That's relevant. Uh, if you're using it to tutor up a win con, play a win con that is relevant to your deck that you yeah. can actually build around. <laughs> if you're using it, if you're using it to uh, tutor for something because you play in such an inbred meta that you know that every deck is going to be having something, play something that is more relevant to your inbred meta that is actually yeah. good. Like, and, and here's here's the thing: yes. I, I've started evaluating cards based on what we're seeing at tournaments, and I the 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 tournaments the tournament data uh, so far does not support the idea that um this card is going to work the way you want it to north of 25% of your games and that is because people are playing some fucking wild shit it's um true. It, it there are people who are genuinely going to tournaments and are playing <laughs> stuff that you are not expecting to see um i mean attracts just one uh, what mm-hmm. was it? Uh, chaos yesterday. Mm-hmm. So I mean, we're we're seeing that the meta game is yes, Timnacrom is made up of a lot. It, it is a high a density of what we are seeing. Its turnover rate is, or its uh, what's what's the word? Uh, its uh, conversion rate is not there. Um, it is mm-hmm. significantly lower than. Like Nigila's, uh, uh, what is it? Yeah. Um, ability to win, uh, Tivit, honestly, like Tivit and Thrasios Bruce are two, and honestly, Rograx Silas, Rocco, and like those, like, handful of decks have a better return on like 
what you are going to like your success than like Tim Necrom. I want to so. hesitate. I want to, I want to pause you a little bit because we want to make sure that we also keep in mind that all of this information does not necessarily is blinded to who the pilots are for some of these things. So That's true. some of these decks have very good conversion rates, but are piloted by like two people who are very good players as well. well. I mean, I so will say we like, want to, we want to be very careful to go into like any of these numbers completely. Like, yes, the numbers exist. They're a tool. Let's not let them be a Bible. Well, I'm, I, 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 you know, see here just like a lot of people who aren't Ian, for instance, playing, sure. uh, to the, like I have two entries that I can see for Ian mm-hmm. on to it. And, uh, one, he won the whole thing with, and the other, he went two, three, and one. Uh, mm-hmm. everybody else's win rates are around 40 to 50 percent. Um, and there's yeah, that's pretty impressive. 37, about 37 entries on here. Um, so like it, it is very consistently putting up like, like, uh, over 20%, like an over 25% mm-hmm. conversion rate, uh, which is ridiculous. Really I actually think Tivit might be one of the best decks in the format. Um, it's really good. Real good deck. Tivit's really good. It's it's turns out having it turns really out good. one of the one of the five titans is banned, and it turns out that having a titan in your command zone is really good because that's what Tivit is. It is yep. Esper Titan. I, I think uh to, to go on a small tangent, I do think Kuranos or or uh, what is it, the Mardu new Mardu card, um Croxa Croxa and Kuranos. Kuranos. I think it's gonna fall into a similar uh niche as Tivit. Uh because I think it has a lot of the same qualities. Um, to I think dog food chain is. Uh, yeah. a, a I'm here. Really I'm with is, it. I want to make this with you. <laughs> I, I'm, I'm very into it. Um, but yeah. but yeah, that's kind of just my take on it. Is that Praetor's Grasp really relies on everybody kind of being on the same thing, mm-hmm. and there are a lot of very successful decks out there that are on black that are on blue that are on those things, you'll notice a significant lack of Praetor's Grasp in the successful decks uh, in those. Uh, And I think Praetor's Grasp really relies on... It's like the definition of a parasitic card, right? Because Mm -hmm. it is completely reliant on the meta being this way. And if you get paired into a pod that is like Naya, blue, green, and like Salvala. And you just kind of sit there and you draw this card and you're like, I have no idea what I'm looking for with this. Yeah. And I'm sure you can find something. Uh, yeah. but it's it's parasitic, but it's not even good at being a parasite. Yeah. Exactly. It's like the it's like the littlest tapeworm. <laughs> <laughs> the little Oh wow. That's gonna be our new uh the mind sculptors <laughs> for, for kids. The littlest <laughs> Do I have to make the littlest tapeworm merch now? <laughs> this is my, my sculptor's uh, drop shop is going to be just uh, a bunch of like random sayings from the show. <laughs> um, next up on our list uh, here is we're looking at two CMC mana rocks, specifically Grim Monolith. And I added to the list Felwar Stone because I have a huge soapbox for fellow Arstone that I'm sure that I've gone into on this podcast before. Uh, but uh, James, you particularly are not a fan of Grim Monolith. I am also yeah. not a fan of Grim Monolith for what it's worth, but yeah, uh, you uh, have- I'm not a fan of Grim Monolith for basically the same reason. I'm not a fan of 
Wish Claw Talisman. Yeah. Uh, it is basically telegraphing what you're doing. Mm-hmm. If you play it and use it the same turn, it's plus one mana. Mm-hmm. There are better mana rocks that are plus one mana to use out there. Like most decks that are going to use that kind of mana are already on whatever spirit guides can be on. But a lot of them like aren't on Mox Amber. Uh, some of them aren't even on Mox Opal. Uh, even, you know, you've got your spells that like randomly like do a thing and then make a treasure randomly. Like making a free Lotus Petal oftentimes is good enough. Uh, all of these decks are on Lotus Petal already, so I can't say that one. but. When you're playing Grim Monolith, most of the time you're not playing it and then immediately tapping it for mana. Most of the time you're playing it, passing turn, getting set up for what's coming up in the future. And then it's just, it's not great there. Like, compare it to Mana Vault. Mana Vault to Colorless Dark Ritual. Is it perfect? No. Does it run into some problems sometimes? Yes. But a Colorless Dark Ritual is still really good. Right. Uh, versus like a Colorless Rite of Flame that sometimes makes less mana than right of flame because right of flame is weird well better 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 comparison is a uh it's a colorless um cabal, cabal ritual, ritual without the without, <laughs> without threshold yeah yeah that's exactly what it is and that's that's not great Here, oh, um, oh it's then, uh it's desperate ritual there you go yes thank you there we go it's called desperate ritual <laughs> we but, got there eventually <laughs> yeah yeah uh but doesn't like it feeds Dockside again. Mm-hmm. Um, it, again, gets shut off by Collector Oof, Null Rod, whatever. Um, and it really doesn't have a whole lot of upside because you really only use it once. Mm-hmm. I mean, the number of times where I have seen full price paid to untap a Grim Monolith in a game is incredibly low. And I think correlates to exactly to winning exactly zero percent of the time. I don't think I've ever seen somebody hard untap a Grim Monolith and go on to win the game. Um, if you obviously if you're like playing Urza and you're playing Power Artifact, then like yeah, sure, Grimmalis. Right. If you're playing Kinnon and playing Power Mar- Artifact, I, I guess Grimmalis good enough. But like just you have Basalt Monolith, like Basalt Monolith, better. it's better. And yeah, it's, yeah, that's you better. don't need like four cards to set it up. Right, right? you don't have to jump through hoops. Um, I will say, however, I'm gonna I'm gonna call you on Felwar Stone. If you had asked me like two years ago, Felwar Stone, like I probably would have said yeah, it's overrated. Uh, I actually think Felwar Stone continually gets better because people are playing more five color lands. And as people play more five color lands, Felwar Stone continually is a better card than it otherwise. So would the be. reason I put it here is because I see it so often in decks that it has no business being in. That is sure. so, like three colors in down decks. Just don't play the card in the deck. Just make it a talisman. Um, like there was, there was li- yeah. like, no. I'd play a talisman before it most of the time. It, like the, like in four plus color decks. Felwar Stone's great. I personally don't love it because, especially going first, no value there whatsoever. Because if you go land, uh, mana crypt, Felwar Stone, I can't do shit with that. Um, I mean, sometimes, sometimes your opponent sometimes has gemstone. Sometimes you can. Mine, but, uh, <laughs> the gemstone caverns. <laughs> it's really good if your opponent has gemstone caverns. I'm not willing to take Wait, those odds, though. Yeah. Um, so, uh, you know, I don't gamble. Uh, personally for a living. So I, I generally like to play cards that I think will consistently uh, give me a return on my investment. And I don't think Felwar Stone is a card that does. I think the decks that do want to be playing this again, same thing for Grimmonel, in my opinion, it's Nostax, right? Um, mm-hmm. the, the decks yeah, that do part. want to be playing this are decks that can convert their cards into mana very quickly for a turn because that's what they need. Um, mm-hmm. I, you could make an argument that maybe like 
desperate ritual and pyretic ritual might just be like a hair better uh, mm-hmm. because of the fact that they don't feed Doxides. Uh, and they make colored mana. And they make and they colored make- mana. And you can buy them back with other things Ooh, from your you graveyard because they go to the graveyard for breach like, that you can exile right. to pay for escape costs. They have so much more upside because they're not permanent. It's just right. sitting there. And right. so I, and, and it, it, it past in flames is a card that I think a lot of these decks should also be considering uh, because yeah. I, I'm just like, guys, did, has nobody Recoup? played get- Nobody played Gift Storm. Like it's 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 shocking to me. And I understand that like Grim I'm not saying don't play Grim Monolith in your Storm deck, but I'm also saying, hey, maybe you should if your game plan is to go off after an ad nauseum, maybe you should mm-hmm. have some more like colored rituals in your deck. I don't know. Maybe you should be playing Manamorphos. Uh I've heard it's a good card. Um it probably should have been banned in modern a while ago. But uh it, it's one card. of those things where I, I just look at Felwarstone and the the signpost that I will always use for it was for a very long time I was a huge I, I've always not liked the card. Um but there was a game where Phoenix, because Phoenix helps me uh or did help me uh build the Lavinia deck and keep that updated when we when it was on the database and we were actively playing it. Um in this two color list, you want Lavinia to come down very early, uh, ideally on turn one, uh, immediately. And this does not get you to a turn one Lavinia every time you see it, which means that the car, the value proposition for this card, uh, in a deck like Lavinia, uh, is literally zero uh because you're not getting what you want from it in the situation that you need it for um the the other examples are in two color decks that want to be coming down really fast uh i think when let me put a very specific caveat in this if your commander has more than two colored pips or more than one color pip in their uh in their casting cost, I don't think you should be playing uh Felwarstone. Because of the fact that it's like if it's two colorless and a blue for Malcolm, right? Uh I, I totally understand that. Right? More than likely you're gonna be able to produce a blue mana somehow with through a land. Um and so I'm much more lenient or understanding of it in maybe that scenario. Um, but when you're talking about decks like Ishai or, you know, decks that play, I mean, I'm, I'm trying to think of all the multiple pipped cards, like Tivit even, like you are not getting the full value out of the card where I would just rather be playing like Talisman of Hierarchy, right? Like just give me the third Talisman and let's call it a day. Um, I, I want to make my colors. I don't care. I, if I'm sitting at a table and it's a, cause this has happened to me before it's Silvala, Kinnon, and then like, I don't know, uh, Kirk, Crick or whatever is the third deck. I'm just sitting there as the blue white deck going, well, 
I really hope Kenan plays an island. Because uh, <laughs> yeah. it, it's just one of those things where I don't think you're getting the most out of it. Uh, but uh, again, I've talked about that a lot on this podcast, uh, historically speaking. Uh, next up, we're going to look at some counter spells here. We've got uh, both of you had some variation of these in your uh, list of cards that you think are a little overplayed. Um, I disagree on one of them, and that's mm -hmm. uh, a card that Sage put down. I think this card is very good, but uh, the cards are an offer you can't refuse, dispel, miscast, and spell pierce. Um, so I am not in the don't play dispel, don't play spell pierce, don't play an offer camp, because I tend to see those cards um, as a control player as good cards. Um, I like counter spells. Um, I mean, I do too. Yeah. Um, <laughs> miscast, I think, is too narrow um, for what it does. Dispel, I, I get a little bit more. Uh, but tell me why these cards, because like you listed out spell pierce and I don't agree with spell pierce. Um, but I want to, I want to hear what you have to say. So in turbo oriented decks with blue who are primarily looking to protect their win conditions and who want one CMC interaction in order so that they can conserve their mana in order to keep storming off after they've resolved their ad nauseum. Or they appear into the abyss, whatever. Fine. I hear fucking bad counter spells. <laughs> 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 You're one man of bad counter spells. The problem that I have with miscast and spell pierce is I do not like counter spells where the opponent has an option to get out of it. And it doesn't happen often, but. Sometimes you, you know, after they have a big dock side and they play their, you know, and they play their game winning spell, they have extra mana. Yes. Like, <laughs> it's not hard when you're looking to stop a deck that whole, that whose whole purpose is to get to six and up mana in order to win. Like, yeah, it's, yeah, it might fumble them up. Like, it might stop them, but like, it doesn't stop a clever player. Mm -hmm. Um, and I would rather just have a spell that says no, your spells countered. I I like, fully agree with that. Um, and then yeah, we talked so, about this a little bit last week during the set review. Yeah, um, and for dispel, I think is just too narrow. Uh, to only hit instance, yeah, that also that includes all interaction and ad nauseum, but I don't think that's good enough in a in a metagame that is transforming more and more into a creature-based metagame. Yeah. In which a lot of spells that win the game are sorceries in the form of like things like Finale of Devastation or, you know, mm. other sorcery tutors, um, you know, like yeah. your sorcery speed tutors who get you your game-winning card. You need to be able to counter those tutors if you can't counter the thing that they're tutoring for. So the spell completely misses the mark on so many spells that like mm -hmm. that, that that win the game because in all, yeah. also in order to win the game you have to be able to stop your opponents and just going faster than everyone else 
and I can say as a turbo player, is not good enough anymore. It's really not. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I agree with a lot of that. I although I will say I am a spell pierce apologist. I, um, well. I believe I believe the spell pierce is actually yeah. definitely good enough. Um, obviously, like. I'd say spell notice, pierce over miscast, but as a yeah. whole, I just dislike them. <laughs> no, that's and that's that's a fine place to be. Um, you'll notice that none of us picked Swan Song because, like Swan Song, what Swan you're giving up, it's it's a hard counter for three types of things that are all relevant, right? Enchantment is relevant, uh, sorcery is relevant, instance relevant, and what it gives up is very little. Uh, I actually and like it's spell also pierce. a win condition. Also true. That's true. In a weird way, it can be. Uh, I actually would rather play spell pierce over an offer you can't refuse. Um, believe it or not, because I feel that what you give up with an offer you can't refuse is too high, uh, especially considering the tight margins that a lot of these decks run on. Um, if we were, I actually was really low on spell pierce and miscast about a year ago, but the way the meta has shifted and the way that players' mindsets have shifted, a lot of people are right now in the gotta go fast uh, mindset, and they are operating on very tight margins. And because spell pierce can hit anything that's not a creature. Uh, oftentimes that two mana is going to be enough to fumble them up, uh, especially like it can be used very early to stop mana development. Like it can hit a mana crypt, it can hit a soul ring, uh, it can hit a underworld breach. Mm-hmm. Whereas miscast misses on all those. Like yes, miscast usually is going to going to tag a, an adnos or whatever. But I think, and this might be a reflection of how I typically play counter spells. I play them a little more aggressively than I think a lot of people do. Um, and so I think Spell Pierce really works nicely for that. Whereas Offer, they get their two treasure. Uh, depending on who you counter, like that could be incredibly useful for them. Like maybe you go after the wrong spell with your counter spell, because sometimes that happens. We misjudge what we're going after. Mm-hmm. And then that two mana allows them to unlock their next thing. And when we look at commanders in the command zone that cost two, three, four mana, like oftentimes an Offer is going to, at worst, unlock them playing one of their commanders. If right. they're playing a partner or playing their commander that turn or the next turn, if they are uh, going, you know, and they have it and they don't go off. Uh, offers good if you're the person playing it and you are going off that turn. But at that point, there's other things that may be going to do a better job, which then makes it weird because, like, you know, force of negation is a better counter spell, right? But force of negation isn't free on your turn. So then you get into that weird space. Right. Um, and I think they, I honestly think like offer competes with force of negation more than anything else. I would always rather have force. Yeah. I mean, I, I think it's like one of the worst of the counter spells for sure. Um, I do think that it's good enough to play. Um, in most decks, I, I, I think specifically like in control decks where you need a density of them, I think an offer is going to be a very hard card to cut. Um, I think there's an argument to be made that too many people are skimping on mana drain, and also, uh, to be quite frank, uh, I think negate. And I was about to say, ass, I was like, I did regular would just ass rather play. spell are playable. <laughs> I I think I agree. I agree with that. I also think that memory lapse is really good. I think that <laughs> delay is memory really lapse is good. good. I, again, I'm remand is also there. reasonable. Like remand draws you a card, replaces itself. Like mm-hmm. I mean, that's the, and so for off for offer, I like an offer you can't refuse for the specific purpose of uh, I play storm decks, and sometimes it's beneficial for me to counter my own spells. Yeah, sure. 
And like, there like, are decks where like Karkashima absolutely should be playing offer. Like, it's a ritual for them. Like, who cares if it's counter something? It's legitimately just a ritual for them. Yeah. Versus, you know, and if you're playing something where you feel like it's going to be useful for your own stuff, great. If you're playing a mid range deck that is looking to try to outlast one of these fast storm decks, like you should not be on offer. I don't know that I totally agree with that. Um, I, I I think. I think the way you use your counter spells needs to be very. If you're going to be playing a deck that is not a turbo deck that is playing these types of counter spells, you need to be very. You need to get really good at knowing when and how to use them. Sure. And that is one of the things where I think if you're wanting just some clean. Uh, encounter whatever problematic things. Uh, like I, I agree with what James is saying here. I also do think that I I don't think that the drawback of an offer as somebody who plays the card a lot, I don't see the two treasures being nearly as much as a pullback as people have told me it is, um, because what I have seen it, at least my use of it is, is it counters the thing that was about to win the game. Uh, and generally that means that it's going to the graveyard and they don't have a way of getting it back or something like that. Um, like very few Nas decks have ways that aren't breached to replay an ad nauseum. Uh, so to me, well, they almost all have breach, which is, of course, sure, the downside. Sure, to sure. But <laughs> like generally, when you're nausing, you don't have breach out. Um, sure. So it's one of those things where I think that it hits enough of the things that are. I will say it's very. It, it doesn't counter breach great because of the fact that uh, it does give them the mana to do Savine's wreck to get it back. So there are cases where it's not good. But I think this is where I think the density conversation comes back in, where if you're playing a deck where you are going to be playing a lot of counter spells, um, this is a really good like third or fourth option in your counter spell suite at the one yeah. mana slot at the one mana slot, because you need to have you need to have a good deal of one mana counters, I think, in the, to be able to effectively deal with stuff. Um, Agreed. But. I, I think that it is worse than Spell Pierce. Slightly better. I, I'd say it's about on par with Negate, personally. Um, and it's worse than Spell Pierce, better than Miscast, in my opinion. Um, I think Miscast I is, mm -hmm. is not a card that I think is very playable. Uh, and Everybody tells me that Breach is the best win con in the format. Boss's Oracle isn't the best win con in the format. And so they are telling me, okay, we want to be on miscast. Okay, why don't you want to counter the more problematic thing? Why are we only playing this really narrow? Uh, you know what counters both of those spells? What? Spell snare. Spell snare, yeah. I, I don't, I don't Wait, love spell snare personally, but um, I, I do I think that's also another snare. piece of one mana interaction that maybe I would consider before I would consider dispel. I wish it was two or less. 
The fact that it is ah, two CMC oh. makes it really hard be, for me to that would play. Be legitimately um, disgusting. It would be that a would very be good a card, but I think that's it would the be thing. Arguably, that one of the best counter spells ever printed. Yes. was two relics. Uh, like, but that's kind of my issue with spell snare. Uh, is that you are really ho- like it has to be two CMC. Oh yeah. So yeah, yeah. so anything. No. So you can't counter dark rituals. You can't get out in front of that. You can't stop, you know, smothering tithes. You can't stop necropotences. Mm. Uh, there's a lot of things. Like, you can't stop doomsdays. And we're seeing no, spell those, snare is like, not like high on the list. Yeah, spell snare just I think notably is, counters Thassa's Oracle and Underworld yeah, Breach. Uh, uh, counters Doxide too. So it's it's one of those things where I and I no think and that it's a lot of good two things. There yes, are there are. I, well, I many just, of them creatures. The storm turns out. decks primarily play two CMC things because most rituals mm-hmm. minus like dark rit or like yeah. infernal plunder or requirement. But like most yeah, rituals, ritual. most win conditions are two mm-hmm. CMC. Tainted pact, the historical breach. I mean, we've we've talked Great with shot. <laughs> somebody. <laughs> All right, grape shot. You're not really doing a whole I know, lot. Of I know, stuff I know. There. <laughs> we've, we've talked. A lot of tutors before, I well, think. Exactly. We've talked before, I think, about how like Chalice on two is like it's either Chalice on two or Chalice on zero is like the most effective Chalice, right? Um, because most of the things that are going to win the game are on two. So, like, I think there is a lot of the things that remove Chalice are also on yes. two. Mm-hmm. Turns off a braid, turns off almost all the bounces except for like Chain of Vapor. Yep. Yeah. Um, Bounce spells like Snap or Winds of Rebuke or Geist Wave mm-hmm. or all those things. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yeah. Uh, unfortunately, yeah. doesn't stop Abrupt Decay, but people don't seem to be playing green these days. So maybe you sure. should play green. Uh, but that's a whole other conversation. Uh, moving on to the last card on our list is uh, some lands that maybe we should think twice about. Uh, maybe they aren't always as good. Uh, as we think they are. And those two lands are Gemstone Caverns and Tarnished Citadel. And Tarnished Citadel is a card that I get in five color decks uh, where you need to be make it. I get it specifically in Najila because you end up gaining more life than you're losing, right? Like Najila, you can throw any makes five mana will let you activate Najila card into Najila and you can make a good argument for it, right? Um Tarnish Citadel outside of that, uh, to you, Sage. What is your you know, we you and I both have opinions on gemstone caverns, but you specifically had an opinion on Tarnish Citadel. I think people lean on Tarnished Citadel for low color decks, low color decks with black who want to be on Tainted Pack, and they need another land that's, uh, makes mana, makes either of their two, of their two colors. And I think when you are in that situation, you are likely turbo. You are likely trying to play Adnas. You're likely ritualing, storming, doing things like that. You're probably playing a high density of artifacts so that you can accelerate Mm -hmm. your game plan. Play. Glimmer Void instead of Tarnished Citadel. Wow, that's a take. Okay. <laughs> that was because not the solution I thought you were going to go for what it's worth. 
you um, I thought we were going this way and Siege went that way and I was not ready for it. Um, uh, okay. Uh Tarnished Citadel. So I, I agree that Tarnished Citadel is not as good as it once was, and that that's because we have a lot more options for lands. And I do Glimmervoid's a little bit of a hot more take. Options. Now, that being said, if you want to go Glimmervoid, I think there are some other options there too. So Glimmervoid, sure. But I'm just right, I'm whatever. saying Glimmervoid is an underlooked yeah. deck card. And no, no. when you're playing a high density of artifacts. Yeah, like, you better be gets- playing Spire of Industry before. Parsley, yeah, that's kind right? of what I was going to And like, no. another option might be like Undiscovered Paradise. Because how many turns do you miss land drops? Does it really hurt you to have your land come back to your hand at the end of the turn? Maybe, yeah. maybe not. Uh, yeah, no, I think Tarnished Citadel, much like uh, some of these other cards that we've that talked about three before. Three fucking damage is brutal. It's a ton. It's, it's a remnant of an era when... Uh, land bases were harder to build is like pre it's, pre it's commander from the legends era of Praetor's grasp. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, we did not have a bunch of stuff that we have now. We didn't have as um the Dude, full set the of pathways. Battle, battle bond lands. We didn't have pathway yep. pathways. We didn't have the full set of talismans now. Like yeah. color fixing is a lot easier to come by. Like play something else. If you need a land in a deck that wants tainted packs, like play a colorless land. Play crystal vein. For God's sake! Like Crystal Vein is so underplayed. I love that card. I or really anything Thran Foundry is that the or Thran Quarry Thran Quarry Quarry. like yeah yeah yeah. You're right. There's so many options. I don't know that I'd go Glimmer Void, but like there's so many options. (laughs) Is on my list of cards that I would play. Um, but <laughs> I I personally would play Reflecting Pool before I would play Glimmer Void. Um, yeah. So yeah. that's that's kind of my uh, take on that. Um, when does Glimmer Void die? That's what I need to look when at. You here, no when you have no artifacts and play. Just when you have no artifacts at the at end, end of turn. turn. Okay, at beginning yeah. of the end set. Okay, um, that's slightly better because I I didn't know if it was like a static ability if you have no artifacts. Yeah, just, this card does not I exist. Just, <laughs> I just don't think yeah i don't want to get too deep into the glimmer void then but th- there are other good five mana cards uh you don't need to play tarnish citadel um you don't the the other card that i think i'm not saying don't put put it in your decks i'm saying it doesn't go in every deck and that's gemstone caverns does not go in every single magic deck um i i think a very good example of this is a deck like my Arden Silas deck, for instance, where we're playing a long game. We're not here for a we're we're here for we're not here for a good time. We're here for a long time, um, and we want to have more cards in hand than our opponents all game long. And Gemstone Caverns slight acceleration uh that it gives you early in the game is not worth that proposition to then also lose having a colored land like we were we we, we've just been talking about we just spent like a, a a decent amount of time talking about how we want lands that it's so easy to color fix and we want to get we have good lands to color fix i don't think gemstone caverns coming out in maybe 10% of games is worth it being a colorless land and basically a useless card in 90% of your games. I just like, it's so bad. If I could, I I will say this. If I could have a sideboard 
in Commander <laughs> and sideboarding cards, depending on my seat placement, I would have it in the sideboard. I, I, I'd say that. Um, I th- but I think in tournaments, it's really hard to convince me that if you are a card advantage style deck, you should be playing a card that is not going to produce you color and also pulls away from your card advantage. Chromox, yeah. I think, like, is the exception to this because you get it and then you are still able to get value from it when you get it, like, down the line, right? Um, it has more uses than Gemstone Caverns does. Just generally, I think uh, the way it's been described to me is Gemstone Caverns is basically a Chromox, and I don't know that I think that is correct. But James, I know you're laughing. I fundamentally I just, disagree with nearly everything you just said. Yes. No, I mean, <laughs> yeah, I mean, I'm definitely with you, Callahan. Like, the Gemstone's Caverns is there in order for you to propel forward your your basically your position in the turn order. And you have to ask yourself, why do you want to do that? Why is that beneficial to you? Are you doing it to hold up interaction for the turn one? Or are you trying to ritual off mm-hmm. and like play Adnaz mm-hmm. earlier? Like, I think if you want to play Gemstone Caverns in your deck, you have to answer the question and do it in a way that you find satisfying. Why do you need to propel your position in the game? Your seat position forward, basically. I mean, we and played I don't it in Lavinia, a, right? Like, yeah, it, and I don't think the deck's game plan was get Lavinia down on one, right? And so, but I, yeah, and I don't think most people can come up with a compelling answer for that question. And so, if you can't, don't play it because, it, like, the card disadvantage is very serious. Because if you throw away another land, <laughs> that's going to make one of the colors that is going that you're going to make anyways. Just play the fucking land on. T- <laughs> <laughs> so, all right. All right. So James, I think why I actually, wrong? no. Straight up, I actually think I think people pitch lands to gemstone caverns actually way too often. Yeah, uh, I think people are way too willing to pitch a land. Now, granted, if you've got like three land or four lands in your opener, like yeah, sure, whatever, pitch a land. Yeah, but but why are you keeping the, the four lands? Like, why are you but not pulling the hand though land for, land for a better hand? Yeah, exactly, exactly. But <laughs> uh, I think people are far too uh, hesitant to pitch a actual card to gemstone and i think they should more often because it is it is basically a chromox except it's better because chromox it gemstone does not feed dockside gemstone does not get shut off by oof or null rod okay gemstone is way harder to destroy and disrupt so you are going to get that mana more consistent you know why it's you know why but here's why it's harder to destroy and disrupt nobody gives a crap to destroy and (laughs) and disrupt it because it's making colorless mana we just talked about how grim monolith is bad in how it doesn't make color mana grim monolith is in a slot in your deck that is not going to be filled by something else how many other colorless lands are you running in a deck? Most decks are running one other colorless land. They're running Ancient Tomb. Like, that's usually about it. Now, you did mention on the list here somewhere uh, Emergence Zone, which, yeah, probably too many people are playing that, but that's uh, totally aside. I think having two colorless lands when one of them is going to have the potential to, if it's in your opener, which 75% of the time, theoretically, uh, potentially be a colored land, good. The other thing with Gemstone caverns is i agree with sage here is that if you don't have a compelling reason to have it and want to accelerate your turn order then you probably don't want it 
Yeah. But I think a lot of decks actually are going to have that compelling reason naturally, either with a low cost commander or a density of two mana mana rocks or similar two mana value pieces or three mana value pieces, even like Mystic Study right. or uh, anything else. Now, that being said, I think people are bad at mulliganing. And I think that probably colors y'all's yes. thoughts here on yes. Gemstone Caverns. Because people will keep a Gemstone Caverns hand that is bad because it has Gemstone, it has Gemstone Caverns because it's a trap. Yeah. But yeah. if people are more same willing to fish. ask that question with... Yeah, exactly. Same thing with fish. If people are more ask, willing to ask the question that Sage suggested, like, what does this do to accelerate me to my next mm-hmm. turn here and mulligan more aggressively, just because you have a Gemstone Caverns does not mean it's a capable hand. I think if people have that in mind, it becomes a much better card. I, I and agree I think with it's, that. I think it's pretty close to inexcusable to cut it. But I, that's just me as a gemstone purist. <laughs> I I don't... I, I'm not... It, clarity, for what it's worth, it is in almost every deck that I play. There's very few decks that I cut it from. But I do not think it is the staple that I think people think it is. Like I see so many people making mana bases and this is coming from somebody who sucks at mana bases. So like I look at this card and I see a card that too many mana bases are built around, but don't have like anything else going on. That's good. If that makes sense. Mm. Like it's in, so many bad mana bases where it could make that mana base so much better by just not being there. Um, sure. And I'm so going to be honest though. If gemstone caverns is the problem with the mana base, the mana base has much bigger problems. <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah. And, and, and I mean, like it, the, again, like I said, I'm, I'm not saying with every card we've talked about so far with maybe the exception of like wheel of misfortune. I just think wheel of misfortune is bad. Um, I think <laughs> all of these cards have places where they exist yeah. and make sense. Um, I just, again, like a lot of my reasoning for cards that I put onto this is to challenge core beliefs that we have about what is good in the format. And something that I've always believed in is because we, you know, for a really long time, everybody told me, oh, well, equipment isn't really good in edh or in cdh and well turns out actually they're pretty good um turns out umizawa's jate is still good it's <laughs> cracked still all the time card. it's never not good um so it's just one of those things where i i look at w- there's a lot of things and like you said that are vestigial mm-hmm. pieces from ancient like- cedh and I think trying to lose some of that is very important. And some of the thing with a lot of these cards, like uh, thinking specifically like Rule of Laws and Gemstone Caverns and even like the one mana counter spells, a lot of the problem with some of these cards is that they're also just incredibly skill testing cards in ways you don't think. Of, right. Right. Like Rule of Laws are very good, but they require a high level of skill from the entire player for them to actually be that or from the entire table for them to actually be that good. Gemstone Caverns is a very good card, but it requires you to be incredibly skilled to actually like get the value out of it because not only do you have to decide all right is this hand keepable mm-hmm. what card do i pitch to it but that what card do you pitch then requires assessing the immediate table based on seating position based on commanders with no other information except yeah. for who has mulliganed what so far which is incredibly mm-hmm. difficult to do yeah and i mean that also uh should 
I should point this out, is also a product of people just don't mulligan correctly in terms of they don't do mulligan <laughs> procedures correctly. Like, they straight yeah. up do not mulligan correctly in how you're supposed to do it. I had this happen to me on Friday night when I was at pre-release. We're playing in a competitive event. And, All right, it's a pre-release, dude. <laughs> well, yeah, I know that. But I've had that, I've had that happen in modern events. Where people sure, are just yeah. not mulliganing correctly. And I just see it happen everywhere. Happened at uh, Silicon Dynasty. It happened at Oktoberfest. It's happened at every CEDH tournament I've ever seen in my entire life. Where player Mulligan. four goes, keep. And then players one, two, and three are sitting there going, well, that's good to know. Mulligan um, procedure and priority procedure are two things that um, I think are very, are very integral to understanding the game in a competitive way that are incredibly poorly educated on yep. by judges at events, whether it's 1v1 or pre-releases or FNM or uh, CDH events, EDH events, whatever. Um, and it becomes more of a problem for EDH because you then multiply the factor by yeah. two, you go from two players to four players and it becomes even messier. And that's a thing that probably if judges are not already making these announcements at the start of EDH and CDH events, they really probably I, ought I, to start I tend having to. a clear policy about mulligan and um priority procedures that they make abundantly clear at the start of these events for players who may not be as aware of them yeah and and kind of not to you know hear that we're at the end i do want to jump on this tangent because this is just something that like annoyed the hell out of me <laughs> uh that wizards did was uh at the pre-release and i'm very glad we had the staff at my store that we did because they knew to make that announcement, um, like you were saying, is in the pre-release kits, all of them had one of three cards, which was Goro Goro and Satoro, Slimefoot and Squee, Katilda and Lear. Those were not legal to play in the pre-release. Mm. There were several different people that I heard that was not communicated by the event organizers. And that's a major shift from how things have, have been, been in which the past, weirdly yeah. enough was a major shift from how things used to be when you got yeah. pre-release promo back in the day. Yeah. Um, originally when they had the big convention style pre-releases, uh, you got your pre-release promo and you couldn't play it. And then they moved to stores and you got your pre-release promo and you couldn't play it. And then they started seeding them and you could play it. And then they didn't seed them at all. And it became a mess and it was just part of your pack. Yeah, there's been some inconsistency. inconsistency it it, it was a huge thing where it, <laughs> I, I, I've just, I, I, I saw on Twitter just like different account after different account of somebody being like, I got a judge called on me because Slimefoot was in my deck or because Catilda was in my deck. And like, I, I think Wizards should have not done that or made it clear those were allowed in the pre release only because. As a judge, how it has historically been is any cards that are in your pre-release kit, you can play uh, yeah. any cards and then anything that's in your deck box cannot be cards yeah. that you could theoretically play in that game. Right. Yeah. Um, it's been that since they've been that way since pulled. what? Yeah. Uh the second Ravnica returned to Ravnica. Yeah. Is that when that started? I mean, yeah. mod uh, during the modern era of magic really which i consider the modern era mostly being like from really rtr on um yeah, yeah. not is, the set not the format model. right not the format so it definitely like was this, not the case for some right. of those other um, but that that's just kind of like an offshoot conversation of 
uh, me being annoyed from the pre-release of having this cool slime foot that would have been really good in my deck that I couldn't play because reasons. Um, but that's its own <laughs> me being grumpy about how they have handled the set for some reason. But anyhow, thank you guys for joining me uh, this week. Uh, it was glad to have you on Sage two weeks in a row. Uh, yeah. I love this new schedule that Sage is on where Sage I mean, gets to I actually be on the podcast. <laughs> I don't love being up at 5 a.m., but That's being fair. on the podcast is fun. <laughs> Um, with that being said, uh, Sage, what do you got going on for us to promote? Cause I know you're involved with venture maidens. You're involved with all these different things. Let us, what's going on in Sage world? Uh, yes. Yeah, so yes. Um, if you're not familiar, I'm a professional magic, the gathering and TTRPG content creator. And so I stream bi-weekly over on the venture maidens twitch channel which you can find like the venture maidens twitch youtube wherever podcasts are available you can listen to me playing in and running uh dnd games and you can also commission me to run one for you if you do so please but yeah just follow me at staff stage on twitter to see all the stuff that i do every single week we need to bring back uh the the stream we did with Clay B. Charles in uh, so much fun in and Johnny yeah. yeah and Lenny. Um, I, I, I we left on a cliffhanger too. Um, <laughs> so, uh, but yeah, go check out uh, Venture Maidens and check out Staff of Stage on Twitter. James, where can people find you? Uh, things you're shouting out right now? Uh, nothing really getting work done right now. Um, I am, as always looking at decks on the decklace database uh, as a manager over there uh, and slowly pruning things off of the uh, CDH subreddit because people, you know, sometimes don't know how to behave online. Uh, but Never. for the most part, <laughs> for the most Weird. part, you can find me on Twitter uh, at squirrel mob MTG. Awesome. Uh, we love you. Uh, thank you for being a teacher. Uh, we appreciate uh, James, the history yeah. teacher, <laughs> waking um, up at 5 a.m. is a little earlier than me, but not that much. Not that much. <laughs> um, we really appreciate Boy. you, uh, and glad to have you part of the Mind Sculptors. It's good to have you back on the back on the podcast. Uh, second episode on the podcast, third episode on the yeah. podcast. Uh, second uh, as a Mind Sculptor, okay, as a Sculpty Boy. I've been on here, I think, a couple times before. That's right, that's right. Um, but yeah. Well, uh, that about wraps things up for us, folks. Just a couple of things to remind you about. One, you can get your Mind Sculptors merch and your could be a Najila card shirt today over at themindsculptors.com forward slash shop. Definitely want to go pick those up. And you can also uh, support us by going to patreon.com forward slash themindsculptors. Uh, some of our top tier patrons i'd like to thank adam hamden david snavely lf cruz matt boehner michael levine and my favorite name of all the senior coupon uh it always makes me laugh i love that name uh if you too would like to support the show like i said head on over to patreon.com forward slash the mind sculptors also there's a link down in the description also make sure that it, to leave a comment down below like subscribe all that stuff uh, we'll get back to reading Apple reviews when y'all start leaving Apple reviews again. Uh, so leave Apple reviews, people. Uh, but with all that being said, I'm Callahan, and we'll see you next time.